This is Kelly, and I'm drinking Bullet Bourbon tonight. This is Eric, and I am also drinking Bullet Bourbon tonight. This is Cole William Whitlock Gibson, and I'm drinking High West Whiskey Double Rye. My name is Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan the First, and I'm drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon on the rocks. Uh, I got my little whiskey ball Ooh. here. And good evening, world. My name is Kevin K. Khan Konacek, and tonight I am drinking Old Forester 86, because bourbon is the answer to questions that really matter. talking about A24's second film as we continue our progress of chronologically watching every single movie. This movie is called Ginger and Rosa. Did anybody like ever hear of this movie before we decided nope, to watch nope. it? Nope. And I'm a diehard Christina Hendricks fan. Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, it follows the story of two teenage like best friends that live in England. Um, it, it mostly follows through the eyes of Ginger, who's a 17-year-old. They, Ginger and Rosa are best friends that were born in a hospital around the same time. And it follows them a coming-to-age tale when they kind of start to split and find different interests and go their separate ways. A huge betrayal ends up happening, and we'll get into that more. But on our last episode, Cole was talking about how you're really into the vibes of a movie. So I'd like to ask you... For a vibe check. Uh, my vibe check was this movie made me extremely angry and pissed off to the point where I almost like did not want to watch it anymore. At like the hour mark, I was just like, "Fuck this movie! Fuck all these people!" I genuinely hate everything that's happening in this film, and it makes me almost feel ill <laughs> watching it. Like I did not. En- I enjoyed the film, but I did not enjoy. Uh, like the uh, the vibes of this film at all. It, I mean, like it it accomplished what it wanted to do. I assume it's just like lay out this story of like a coming to age film of these two young girls, but like fuck some of these characters, which we we can get into maybe a little bit after we get some five checks for other people because I probably have a pretty strong opinion about. I, I just it just made me irrationally angry. So that was my vibe check. <laughs> Kevin, how did it make you feel? Like Cole, there was some emotional roller coasters happening in this film. Um, it was an intense look at some some pretty heavy ideas, right? The idea of war, friendship, you know, religion, politics, protest, sex, philosophy, like a lot of things that takes you on on a different range of emotions. Mix that in with a lighthearted soundtrack and some things that kind of keep it bumping from scene to scene, and it definitely has its highs and its lows. Um, I also found myself getting emotionally invested uh, with certain characters, being angry definitely at, you know, Roland's character for certain throughout the whole thing, uh, but also feeling emotional with um, the ability to kind of empathize with all of the characters. There was some heavy parts, but there was also some lighthearted parts, and I know we'll continue to get into it when we go over our reviews, but I really did enjoy the movie from start to finish, um, and I definitely feel that the, the writers in the producers got what they were trying to get across in this film. Blaze, do you want to weigh in on just first initial thoughts? 
So my first thoughts, like we said, well, I had never heard of this movie coming in until, you know, we, we got on the list of A24 movies in order. So I really uh, didn't know what I was expecting. Uh, even with the, like, you know, I looked at Wikipedia with the, you know, two-sentence synopsis. So the, the initial thing is, uh, if I could compare it to Charles Swan, the uh, movie we watched last week, I think the beginning they got right as well. I love the opening of, like, the nuclear bomb and stuff like that. I, I, I Again, really, like... The missile crisis was kind of like a background noise at, at the end of the day, but, you know, just the uh, the feeling of change and stuff like that, they really did a good way of conveying that, and as you watch the movie, you can understand, like, why the it was set in this period, and then that's my other, like, initial thoughts was, like, the period in time was so cool, because we all know, like, the 1960s America, because we've seen all those movies, but, like, England was part of the uh, Cold War efforts as well, it was going to affect Europe, it was going to affect everyone, so just... The way that everyone, uh, at least in the movie, was on edge about, you know, this uh, this crisis that could have uh, blown up the world at any time. So I really dug the vibes going into the movie, like the first 10, 15 minutes. Did, did anyone notice how, or I don't know if anyone had a problem, where the, literally the first 60 seconds of this film, the first minute, there is not a single sound. I checked my headphones like three times because it is... <laughs> absolute yeah. silent as there's like title cards and stuff and then just nuclear bomb and i was like oh, okay so there is sound but yeah and there's so yeah. many parties involved with bringing this movie to what it became that it was just on and on mm -hmm. and, and we're involved and we're involved and we're involved eric i want to hear from you on your first thoughts as well um so you know it started out with uh hiroshima and then fast forwarded us you know about 17 years to uh, 1962 london and I think I just kind of got this vibe of uh, existential dread. When you're a teenager and you st first really start like realizing all the horrible things going on in the world and uh, almost, you know, how you and average people are powerless to fix it, you, you get a lot of those feelings right away, I think. And with, with all this, you know, talk of the Cuban Missile Crisis in the background. But really what the vibe I got from this movie is what do you do with all those feelings um, of ex existential dread while you're having all these personal problems that are affecting you day to day? And how do you balance the two? That's what I really think the whole film was about, too. Certainly. I have a list of quite a few different um, feelings that I got from the movie and everything. A big one of them being war and its effect even in what we would consider the safe areas and how that affects day-to-day -day life. And then layered on top of being a older adolescent and coming into adulthood, there's this weird kind of similarity there where you are safe, but it doesn't feel like it and anything could shift your whole worldview any second or end your life at worst. Um, did anyone else pick up any kind of vibes like that? Yeah, absolutely. For me, I felt like we were looking at Ginger and Rosa's um, innocence almost be broken at a certain point in the movie, where they were being kids, they were going out, having fun, you know, drinking, listening to music, having all of those best friend moments, and then all of a sudden it was just like a flip, a switch went off. And like you said, it was kind of like that, that precipice as the war fever escalated. I feel like the... Um, the line that those two girls walked from normality to crisis kind of changed. And as soon as things escalated to a point, that's when the their relationship fractured and things kind of broke apart. 
I also think it was a good backdrop as well, as far as the whole movie, because I really think that as she started to realize, and again, we'll, we're definitely going to talk about it, but she learns more truths about her dad and who he actually is. It's uh, how her views of how to handle the protesting of the nuclear bombs also changed into her own her own past. So I think she's learning, you know, when you're growing up, everything that your parents say is gospel. And then there's that time between, you know, 14, 15, 16, where you start having your own thoughts and opinions. And I thought that was a great way that they did the parallels between, you know, her dad's, you know, philosophical thoughts and who he actually was versus her philosophical shot thoughts and who she actually was, how they diverged at the end. So, yeah, I thought that was a very, very cool way to uh, introduce all the major themes with this uh World War Three background, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I want to talk about some of these characters. Another kind of theme that I got from this movie that it was portraying was kind of the children are the adults and the adults are behaving like selfish children. We're talking about fathers and maybe the absent-mindedness of them at some cases. Uh, Cole, I want you to talk about Roland. I I actually I left my notebook where I wrote down it, put it like in the big like in black bold letters like a crazy person. I just wrote kill. Is it because you saw there was no foot shots well, in the yeah, movie? First and you were off, just like, no scratch foot shots. Uh, but I just wrote kill Roland because that guy is a piece of garbage. I absolutely hate him. Uh, but speaking of fetishes, uh, there was a quote from Roland that makes me think that he is definitely into bondage which the quote was when he was talking about uh when they're in the boat he was talking about there's poetry in small pa- uh, spaces and he said he said confinement can be utterly beautiful but only if only if it's a matter of choice and i was like this dude loves bondage for sure <laughs> so Wow. Um, cold the sex psychologist and then guess what Spoiler, spoiler alert, I'm sure everyone that's watching this podcast, I'm sure has watched the movie, spoiler alert, later that night, he bangs that uh, Rosa, and then everything falls apart, and I fucking hate that guy, but I really wanted uh, Christina Hendricks to just, like, really clock him in the mouth, but she didn't, although the slap on Rosa at the end was amazing, that was a very good slap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I could, uh, yeah. they did the yeah. vote. They did the nasty on the boat the second time they went on the boat, not the first time. Oh, details, semantics. Yeah, okay, yeah. you're right. You're right. I, so you're I right. watched him cry you're right. the first time and went, that's my fetish, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh. the thing was, I knew that Rosa was uh, 17, so I had to actually like look up uh, in England what the age of consent is, and it's actually 16. So, like, it wasn't statutory rape, but it doesn't make it any less creepy for right. a yeah. father to have sex with your daughter's friend. And I I think what I really took away from Roland is that he outwardly has all these high moralistic values. He's a man of civil disobedience, but I think it's all sort of a farce. You know, I I think that he just does whatever the hell he pleases. Uh, His explanation for this is basically, you know, you only live once. You have to make the most of this life that you can. But really, he just thinks with his dick and not his brain. And he has destroyed his family and because of all the womanizing he does he's pretty much destroyed his daughter because he you know spends more time with all these women than he does his own daughter and it leads to a lot of hatred and jealousy from uh his daughter yeah kevin i think this very 
Very true what you said about Roland. The whole time I felt like he was just disingenuous. He was just reading off the things that he writes down in his published journals. That he's just this idea of a, of a protest person. And I didn't get any genuine lines until the very last thing he says in the whole movie. When he apologizes to Ginger and says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I wrote down a note that I felt like that was the first genuine thing that he said. And that everything else, like you said, it was just blowing smoke just for the sake of it. Um, and then the other point I wanted to make is that I thought it was interesting that the director wanted us to know or to feel that there was going to be something between Rosa and Roland like right off mm-hmm. the bat. Yep. Like you could tell like there was that line where he said where Rosa said goodbye Ginger's dad and like I knew immediately right there that was where the movie was going and the director kind of you wants that to feel as it's getting progressively mm. more it infuriates you right your emotions sure. are building cuz you know it's coming the whole damn time mm-hmm. and then when it happens it kind of so I loved that about it I thought it was really cool to bring us on that journey Well the and the thing that drove like made me like irrationally angry was when that was happening no one like did anything or like called it out and like ginger which you know she's again it's like a coming of age so it's not necessarily like but like i just wanted her to just like call him out or just be like what the fuck and just uh, but it never happens until it like reached that boiling point but obviously she's like kind of takes that and pushes it towards the like the nuclear the bomb and the all of uh, the protests and stuff instead of actually dealing with that problem until it reaches a boiling point and explodes right but yeah, yeah. I think which is a cool metaphor did, in itself. Yeah, and I think the movie did a good job good of kind job. of making us feel like Ginger, where we see these things happening in front of us and we feel uncomfortable, but we're like, surely it won't happen. Yep. Right? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. No way they would do. Oh shit! It's already like way far too gone now. Well, yeah, it's, it's um, like so, uh, what Kevin said. You know, it's that slow burn that like slowly like it lets it. It lets you digest the whole, like, relationship, like, blossoming, you know, like, what Kevin said about, you know, goodbye, Ginger's dad, oh, I'm Roland, and then him and uh, the mom break up, and then they go on the boat together, and it's just like, you're like, come on, come on, come on, and then Rosa asks her to come on the boat with (laughs) her and Roland, and that's when, you know, it's already, and, um, but to Eric's point, I don't think that, like, he's, Roland is... Uh, manipulative um, on purpose. I think he actually thinks that he's right and he has that uh, entitlement about himself because he went to jail for protesting World War II. He wrote all these think pieces about, you know, pacifism and stuff like that. So when he manipulates uh, the women in his life, especially, um, I really think that he thinks that he's coming from a genuine point of view because, you know, he when he is in a relationship with Rosa, he doesn't hide it from his daughter. And I don't think he did that, you know, maliciously, but we can all see how flawed of a character he is, even though I think what makes what makes me most angry about him is that he thinks he's doing the right thing. And when everyone mm-hmm. else is like, you know, screaming no, you know, it's like it's the classic uh, uh, toxic manipulative person. You know, he broke his daughter's heart and he thought waking her up at 3 a.m. with dinner was going to like solve everything. Right, exactly. And then giving the line about how it's love and love is like a siren call. One must surrender. Like somehow right. like <laughs> validating his relationship with the 17-year-old girl who happens to be his only daughter's best friend. Like, no, you are believing way too much of your own bullshit. And 
Yeah, and like with that that dinner yeah. scene where he comes in at like two, three a.m. and like makes her dinner, and it's like, "I made you dinner. Were you hungry?" And she's like, obviously was not gonna eat it. But then he's like, "What? Well, you're not gonna <laughs> eat my food?" But then she like obviously changes changes her tune and eats it. But in the same scene earlier, where the beautiful Christina Hendricks slaved over a delicious meal for him, made him his favorite <laughs> pie, and he said nothing that bastard that fucking asshole said nothing but then when rosa makes a shitty spaghetti it's delicious i fucking hate that guy christina Hendricks deserves better yeah I, that's the reason why the whole time it's a christina Hendricks crush that's driving your hatred I, Got it. I don't think she's without blame though for um, the way ginger yeah. ended up the way she is i mean there was a point where she called her and rosa sluts you know, and, you know, she does seem like she has some mental problems of her own. Is she as bad as Roland? No, but she does seem kind of like she she's off, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, when she started painting again after Rosa moved out, I thought that was very telling of that part of character, like you just said. Like, her character all of a sudden heals herself when, when Rosa moves out, or when Ginger moves out of the house, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so something I was going to say as we were talking about Roland was that we all see his faults immediately. But Ginger is like, I idolize my father. I want to be just like my dad. And that's a huge thing for teenage girls is like, dad can do no wrong. And I will do everything to not be like my mom. And we see the faults in both of these parents. But Ginger doesn't really ever come to see anything redeeming of equality in her own mother. I think it's because she, the mom went around about bad way of like because she used to be a painter she used to be a free thinker like her daughter and she got trapped into this world with roland and i think you mm-hmm. know like she goes to uh high school to, so they can teach a home act and stuff like that and that got uh ginger really mad at her but i think because mm-hmm. i think her mom wants her to conform more to like you know normal society so she doesn't become a protester she doesn't fall in love with a roland type guy so she doesn't make the same mistake she does she again she just does it the wrong way her 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 thinking is right, but her motives were like not the best. Um, you know, letting for, for letting her leave for Rollins was a really bad call on her part. But you know, because she wouldn't let her be a kid in her own right, though, because she got mad at her for uh, drinking. No, yeah, yeah, really yeah. The, uh... It's almost like she's taking out um, her anger that you know she was trapped in this life. She's taking it out on her daughter. That's kind of the feeling I got. From yeah. Her. Well, okay, but when she, when she left. She started painting again, you know, because I think yeah. that that free spirit was still inside her. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roland had crushed her down to such, you know, nothing that she wanted. She didn't want that life for her daughter. So, like, you know what I'm saying? She's yeah. she's a cool yeah. painter on her own, but when it comes to her daughter, she's more protective and she wants her to live a more mainstream life than the one she's living. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Plus, this was in, like, the 1960s, and this was, like, right before the big, like, feminist movement and stuff, which obviously Ginger was a part of, and I think that was kind of what... Because uh, <clears throat> from my understanding as the director, this is, like, kind of based on her, her past life and history, but not, obviously, direct, like, autobiography, but it's, like, right at that precipice of, like, feminist movement and protests and, like, women joining the workforce and being treated as equals while her mom is stuck, like, right at that last yep. line of you are, you get pregnant and you are a mom and you don't have other hobbies. You don't get to do anything else. Your husband's not going to help you do anything. And, uh, and Ginger kind of resented that, but didn't realize that that was what was expected of her at that time 
which yeah i'm so glad you touched on that because that's like the first thing that i wrote down as a theme of this movie was like the eve of feminism and women not knowing what was just about to happen for them of their own um work and effort and we have these two characters christina Hendricks, who is like i'm a housewife i need to get a job where am i ever gonna find work and then you have the friend of ginger's godfathers who's like i've been a radical feminist my entire life mm-hmm. and i don't say the word actress nothing ends with an s <laughs> and she's the most serious pinpointed yeah, yeah. person <laughs> Yeah, she was awesome. I liked her. She yeah. They talk about the sexual revolution, right? Isn't that like a, a mm-hmm. time point in our history? And and that's yep. definitely very very clear. There was that scene where the girls are trying on their mother's clothing before they go out, and I thought that was interesting too. Like the idea that you're coming of age, you're you're trying to act older, you're trying to to do things for yourself, and it's very interesting to see how well that actually turns out in the movie. And, uh, you know, the radical feminist friend of Ginger's Godfather's, her, yeah, her name was Maybelle, but she's played by Annette Benning. She won a Academy Award for uh, being an American beauty. Um, so it's really interesting that she took, like, this smaller part in this to place, I think, a pretty crucial character. You know? Yeah, there were some, bitty, mm-hmm. big, uh, some pretty big players in this film as well. Again, for being, like, a 24-second yeah. film. But, I, um, yeah, I was surprised also i did not know that ginger one was a blonde and also dakota fanning's uh sister that blew my mind when i looked that up <laughs> yeah let's let's talk about that a little bit al fanning holy cow she was 13 during the filming of this Very movie, good. and she absolutely destroyed it, it was such yeah. a good performance by her she was the vehicle that this entire movie mm-hmm. needed to work without her this thing doesn't go the way it goes um, she's incredible. Her emotions were very raw, very real. Um, I was absolutely blown away by her performance in general, and it made me a big fan. And this was my first Same. experience. I, like, yeah. I never, I don't like recall her in any other films or, or TV shows or anything like that. But that end scene where like the boiling point after like she got gets like from the rest and stuff like that, where like the amount of emotion and like how it was very real and raw and almost like seemed like genuine even though it was acting which was very impressive yeah it felt like she was the character Mm -hmm. we were watching in every single way shape and form she blew me away for sure yeah something else that i want to touch on is that this movie was written and directed by a woman named sally potter and cole you kind of touched on that it's not an autobiography but it is similar to her life she attended band the bomb protests when she was growing up when she was 13 she remembered going to her first one and she is a redhead and it's the reason that ginger is also a redhead in the film Elle fanning was quoted saying like it's the first time i've ever not been a blonde in a movie and i was like that's very interesting it's a quick side note i'm sorry before we get way off track can we talk about that roland named her africa yeah that <laughs> such a was weird. That not the biggest fuck you in like the entire. Like, <laughs> I wanted to touch on that, but it's like <laughs> what? What was it that he said? Was his reasoning for that? It was about like uh, yeah, the dark art or dark, the dark something came from Africa. Beauty or something. Some because yeah, the dark yeah. 
Cause some philosophical <laughs> yeah. mumbo jumbo. Right. But it's just like, and it was such like a random part. I at no point throughout this movie did I think Ginger was not named Ginger until like that point when Bella was just like, "So what's your real name, Ginger?" And I'm like, "What?" Yeah. And then it's just like Africa. I'm like, I am. I really hate Roland so much. This guy is a pompous <laughs> but, prick. Yeah, but that also <laughs> makes you think like nobody was named Ginger in the 1960s. Well, like, like if she was clearly a nickname, it wasn't a, a surname by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. Like. They, they must have been uh, at the time, yeah. I guess. Well, I think it goes again to, like, the whole, like, the early feminist themes. Like, you know, where Ginger, oh, she's a red-headed girl. Her name must be Ginger, yeah. you know. Um, and then, because uh, what the uh, older lady said, you know, at the end was really, like, resounding when she said, well, when you grow up, you could be, you could still be Ginger or you could be Scarlet, Scarlet. you know. And that's like, you know, because yeah. Scarlet is a more fiercer red than Ginger, so, you know, like blossom and become yourself um so that was a really good like uh little like you know seeding for you know what she's gonna grow up to be so Mm -hmm. i don't know i thought that was really cool definitely i want to take a total turn and ask eric what your thoughts were on the use of jazz throughout this movie uh yeah jazz i mean (laughs) I i think it showed i don't know just kind of how hip ginger uh was at that time and I would say that jazz kind of, uh, jazz is chaotic, you know? Jazz is improvisation at its finest, and it's talented improvisation. And I don't know if there's a direct parallel here, but, uh, you know, Ginger's life is chaotic, you know? And in a way, it's like she is trying to navigate it the best she can. And I'm not sure if that was a conscious choice by the director or if she just wanted to make uh, Ginger seem hip. But uh, in a way, it kind of perfectly suited the soundtrack because there was just points of uh, chaos throughout this whole thing, and the jazz definitely played off of that. Did you know? No, Kevin first. Kevin first. All right, so the soundtrack was definitely a huge, huge part for me. So as a jazz musician, as somebody who really appreciates a lot of the music that was in this film, I was taking notes as every song came up because I felt that each song was directly picked for the reasons that it was in there. The first one we hear is Take the Atrium by Duke Ellington, and that's one of the biggest jazz standards that was ever created. And it was just kind of conveying, like Eric said, that chaotic feeling, that that vehicle of, of movement. Um, we heard Take Five by Dave Brubeck, um, I love that when she was getting angry, when she first realizes that Rosa is, you know, doing the dirty with her father, she gets up and puts on Tutti Frutti by Little mm-hmm. Richard, just kind of <laughs> distracts herself from it and, you know, ends up getting really drunk with that boy. Um, and then the final thing we heard is Bird Get the Worm by Charlie Parker, which was that really live uh, saxophone piece as she's fleeing in the middle of the night just to get away from the world. And like that chaos, that ridiculous runs like all of that stuff together was just brilliant i loved the soundtrack and i thought it was a huge part of what made this movie awesome yeah those are both uh beautiful points i am not a musician and i have no musical abilities but the beautiful and talented christina hendrix is actually a very good accordion player and has been playing can actually play it it is like an accomplished accordion player and the fact that she was playing it in the movie she also played it in Mad men she plays it a lot in a lot of shows bonk but she, it, the, I like the, I like the fact that like they added that into the film as like her playing it late at night and like almost in shame of like another thing like the painting and stuff that she used mm-hmm. to like and used to do but can't do it anymore and isn't a lot like allowed to do it anymore. But yeah, cool jazz, like it. That's your one simping pass. You can't say another simp thing again for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, 
A beautiful and talented accordion player. That is, come on. <laughs> Are you telling me uh, uh, Christina Hendricks is not beautiful and or talented? I'm just saying. I'll fight. That's a little bit too much information. <laughs> I didn't need to know she plays the accordion. Why not? Uh, do you not care about a woman's <laughs> hobbies? In the movie. Yeah. Okay, okay Roland. Yeah. I guess you don't care about painting yeah. or her hobbies. I guess she should just make you your favorite fucking pie and you just expect it. Are you a pacifist, yeah, please? That would have been that would have been great if one of us were on the podcast, be like, "What are you guys talking about? I love Roland. He was so was smart. Such... Right, he had yeah. good points." Uh, actually, I was kind of hoping for that. <laughs> no, no, no. He he's made a, a lot of shit. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> At first, I was definitely like, "Yo, what if you did have like a free spirit dad like this? How different would life be?" And then it took like until the second scene until it's like. Oh, you wouldn't have a dad. You would just have some like friend, and he wouldn't even. Yeah. He didn't even want to be called dad. She goes, I exactly. Don't, I don't the have a moment. dad. I have a role. That's in. the moment. Yep, that's <laughs> the moment right there. It's like he won't let me call him dad. I was kind of like, all right, this guy's a piece of shit. I'm done. <laughs> what was so when you that uh, line towards the end of the film when uh, Rosa tells uh, um, Ginger that she's uh, she might be pregnant when they're at the diner, and Rosa they were talking. Ginger, that well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were at the uh, table and they were talking. And um, did you guys understand the significance of the line? I'm trying to remember it. It's uh, because she was religious, Rosa was, and she said she doesn't want to do the protest anymore because it's in God's hands. And then yeah. uh, Ginger says, then she said something along the lines of like, but then who's in your hands or something like that? And that's yeah. when you know that's when she broke off and ran away. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just thought that was a very interesting uh, line. I guess that I was kind of dissecting it. But now that Blaze brought up religion for the first time during this pod, I think that's a, a really big movement vehicle for this as well. The idea of protesting versus supplicants, right? The idea of religion and God versus the atheism. Many times throughout the film, like during the beginning when they're talking, um, during the lunch between Ginger and her father, about Ginger going to church and showing the, the rosary that she was wearing as a gift from Rosa. And Roland asks what she thought about it, and she makes a comparison to theater. And I thought that was super interesting as well, a family who has absolutely no attachment to religion versus um, Rosa, who has everything in religion. So the juxtaposition between the two friends, the atheism versus the theist, it was it was absolute compelling part of this entire film. Um, and even at the very end, when they're talking about the Ten Commandments and murder, and, you know, Ginger's like, I don't need a book to tell me that murder's bad. Like, that's how I feel as someone who can absolutely relate to how Ginger's feeling. So it was just a really cool sub-theme throughout the whole thing, and I just enjoyed the way that they kind of had that under the surface. It didn't seem overly important, but it was also really much kind of there for the whole thing. I, I think a big part of this uh, movie, too, was, like you were saying, supplicants versus, you know, people actually taking action. It's like Ginger wanted to take action, you know, as the movie progressed, uh, you know, due to nuclear, she was an anti-nuclear war person, a pacifist. She wanted to take action, yet her mom and uh, Rosa were very much like, you know, what can I do about it? You know, like, I, I should just focus on my day-to-day -day life. You know, then you have Maybella, who is the ultimate activist. And then I think the Godfathers, uh, they were the most leveling force in this whole movie. They were the ones that knew... Like, the I, I think they were the guiding light. They were, you know, so thoughtful and loving. 
towards Ginger when she needed it most. And I think they were kind of like the perfect in-between. It's like, no, I'm not going to go, I don't know, get arrested right now. But, you know, all of these worries and uh, they're all very valid for Ginger. You know, they, they say that as much to the cop, too. Yeah, I, I want to talk more about their characters, too. They were such a guiding force in this whole movie. Definitely. I was going to give them the best characters of the movie award. Mark <laughs> goes to the Godfather. Mark 2 was my yeah. favorite. Mark 1 Mark and Mark 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Right? <laughs> and they, that was excellent. That was the funniest part of the movie ah. when they kept calling him Mark 2. Like, that, was, that, that got a general laugh out of me every single time. That was... I, there was one line from those two that I highlighted and I wrote down as something that kind of really stuck out to me is when, you know, Ginger was really upset about the whole situation. You know, they kind of go, be a girl a bit longer. You'll be a woman soon enough. Mm. Like, she just, like, we got to remember that Ginger's a kid. This Throughout this entire thing, she's still a kid who's just not, you know, seeing the world for the first time. And mm. um, her, her godparents see that. And it was kind of really really telling that they she needed to see that kevin you and i picked um, very hmm. different quotes to write down and memorize for this for this podcast <laughs> well yeah. we need that right you know opposite approaches and that okay the different quotes you know i think obviously the most poignant quote is towards the end is uh you know i forgive you when we basically it was when we meet again one day i, I will forgive you she's saying that to rosa uh while other people are for you know uh, while her dad just said sorry to her and I don't know, I there so I, I think the Godfathers, it's pretty much it's hinted that, you know, they're together, they're in a relationship. Is there at the very end, Ginger says, you know, I loved you, right? Uh mm-hmm. is that kind of an omission that she actually, you know, had feelings for Rosa? And that's why it even hurt more for her. So I... I don't think so. I think so, because at the very beginning of the film with those two, like, sitting at the bench, and, like, like, it looked like they were, like, I I don't know, it seemed like Ginger was very into it and, like, that they were going to, like, almost, like, kiss, like they were practicing, like they are going to go make out with the boys, but Ginger seemed very interested. And I thought the movie was going to go in that direction where it was, you know, possibly about two young girls who, you know, were gay in a time that wasn't necessarily acceptable, but then it, like, went a completely different direction, but that last line really, like, pulled back that thought where I kind of, I think that it it's a possibility and it seems to hint at it, at least I think so. It hints at it. Obviously doesn't, like, it's not the point of the movie, but mm-hmm. it hints at it, I think. I know that's a little thing, but when you're looking at the descriptor, like on Showtime, it does put, like, LGBTQ descriptor on the side, and I can't think of anything else Marks, in the movie that I was guess. A, The a Godfather. Hint. I guess the, the Marks, Marks. Yeah, 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 you're right, but... Yeah. yeah. I'm with Blaze, where I don't think that it was a romantic love. No, it was, it was that a... I think it is the love that... She loved her like a sister. She was, like, the one person that was with yeah. her. That's why... They had to show them, you know, growing up together in, you know, a few establishing scenes. So, you know, maybe it looked, seemed more intimate to you guys because they had to, like, rush it. But I didn't see any, like, I, I, she loved her as a friend, as a sister, as, you know, someone who grew up with her in this, uh, she's time. Well, if, I, don't, I don't see any love interest or anything like If that. that's the case, then why was, like, yeah. the, the girl, girl movie the second on the list of, like, when I looked up Ginger and Rosa, just immediately went to girl, girl scene the movie. 
Because there's a lot of perverts out there that think that girls can't like love each other as friends without it being more. And I'm not oh, pointing God. any fingers oh, or anything. But... I love Eric, but I don't want. I thought he was pointing three yeah. fingers. <laughs> I never two girls almost kiss. You know, yeah. they must be gay. Yeah. Okay. This just got well. It was more of the jealousy real. that she had when Rosso was you know making out with these boys. There was definitely well, yeah. a jealousy she, she had. She looks like before uh, she even you know, got with her dad, you know? Right, a jealousy or a confusion, because when they're in the bathtub together, the two of them are reading very different material, and it's the mm. start of their friendship parting away. Yeah. I think if there was a romantic love, they wouldn't have parted slowly and kind of amicably as they did until the betrayal happens. But, like, one girl's reading, they boys want you to have a bubbly personality, and mm. Ginger's like, uh, how about this great ex ex I can't say it because I've had too much bourbon, but how about this great writer? And it's like they're just amicably split up. There's no like. I don't think Rosa had the same feelings. No, I don't think so either. But what about the scene where they're making out with the boys and Ginger's just like obviously staring at Rosa instead of Mm -hmm. the boy that she's with? I take that as a view of inadequacy or confusion yeah i Why think is well again confusion and feelings and towards your best yeah i think well i think rosa was into one thing and ginger was into other things that's where the coming of age part comes in where they're splitting up as like who they are as individuals like i said you know uh regarding ginger's dad how she's like taking on her own um path in life i think rosa was like you know the cool adventurous fun friend and but ginger wanted to be out in the battlefield you know, these protests. So their ideals weren't the same. So that's why, like, um, like Kelly said, like, it's probably like an inadequacy of like, I should be having this, this was fun, but I just don't feel it. And Rosa is more of, you know, the, uh, the young woman, I guess, who's, you know, going after boys and, you know, clothes and stuff like that now, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But I didn't see any, like a love connection outside of, yeah. You know, as far as romantically goes. I did look up if Sally Potter was married, and she is happily married to her husband. So I was hoping that, well, not hoping, but I thought that maybe she was a lesbian, but turns out she's not. So Sexuality is a spectrum. Well, she might have had experiences not, when yeah, she was I'm younger. You never she's, know. Yeah. She doesn't. Yeah, I know. But, but yeah. I, I was hoping it, that yeah. I could use that as an argument, but I couldn't. <laughs> In the end, I don't think it's the exact point of the movie. No, uh, no not like, at all. You know, we were talking about all these other themes. Uh, I think that's just kind of something that slips into the background there, but yeah. Well, I think, uh, again, we're just kind of like riffing right now. <laughs> I think the uh, okay. the coolest thing, my favorite part about the movie is, because uh, we're talking about, you know, this missile, uh, the, the missile crisis that was going on. And all this. And I think um, at the end, because uh, Christina Hendricks, her character got pregnant as a teenager by Roland. And then um, towards the end, I I guess, is it official that Rosa was pregnant? But it's heavily implied. Yep. But I think cause they showed, well, they showed Hiroshima, you know, in the nuclear explosion. So I think the main theme of this, the story that I took from it is that history repeats itself, whether in the macro or the micro. Roland is like, uh, the superpowers, you know, these pseudo intellectuals uh, that you know play God, and it ends up burning them. So I think that's the uh, history repeats itself is the main theme of is what I got from it, especially the uh, comparing nuclear war to the nucleus of a family. So wow, that's pretty. When Ginger, um, or sorry, Ginger's mom looks at Rosa right after she uh, figured out 
that, you know, uh, Roland and her were sleeping together. Uh, Rosa, uh, she puts her hand on her stomach like she's guarding her baby. Uh, and I think that, you know, was a telltale sign that she was actually I pregnant. I think Christina Hendricks oh, yeah, took it that yeah. way because she... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she went to go try to Yeah, I think she knew, yeah. she knew it. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. That's a really cool scene of just, like, non-verbal yeah. communication between the women, too, of the hand and the eyes and, the eye, and like, all of them hear this message immediately mm-hmm. and react accordingly. And I thought that was an amazing scene. That whole um, confrontation kind of ending... Uh, I thought it was a really, really well shot scene. Really good, like thing that we got to. Unlike the previous movie we watched, it all came to <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> there was there was that line where um, uh, Rosa runs up to Ginger and frantically says, "Ginger, forgive me, please." Yeah. And like mm-hmm. that was so poignant. Like all up into that point, she was, "No, my love is real. My relationship with your father is okay. Everything is wonderful." Until all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh my God." your mom's trying to kill herself because I did this. Like, and then she realizes everything she messed up. And I thought that was really poignant as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, we talk about it. We never find That's out what, what happens, right? Ask. You know, at right. the end of the movie, yeah. we're just kind of left with that, that poem, which was so beautiful and, and mm-hmm. really, really, you know, riveting at the end there. But you almost forget that you don't find out the ending there because you're paying attention to kind of that, that final scene and what she's writing down. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that ending where you kind of like, I was kind of let down. I was a little let down. I was let down. I loved it. I think I loved it personally. You loved it. See, I, I did. I thought that for me. So here's here's the whole thing for me. At the beginning, we knew she wanted to be a poet, right? That was one of the first things we found out about her. She wanted to be a poet. The T. S. Eliot is a huge part throughout the whole thing. Like, there's a little bit throughout the whole movie where that's the major theme. And at the end, she talks about the forgiveness, right? We write down that line: "You dream of everlasting love, not me." Because what really matters is to live. And if we do, there will be nothing to forgive. I thought that was just so brilliant in a lot of different ways. And at the end, you know, I already touched on it. When Roland says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, and that's his first genuine thing, she doesn't care. Because it's all about her mom at this point. As it should be. Please? Yeah, well, the contrast to what Kevin is saying, I was just so disgusted by Roland the entire film. I really don't think I can forgive him in a last, you know you know, five-minute scene where it did, there wasn't really a re- resolution. Ginger officially made that step towards adulthood. I think that was the big resolution. But as far as the ending, the ending kind of left me wanting, which is kind of weird how uh, we were talking about how it was a movie that showed its cards right from the get-go. So the fact that, you know, it kind of had an ambiguous ending kind of uh, kind of let me down a little bit at the end. I don't think we were ever supposed to... I don't think we ever need to forgive Roland, and I don't think we ever should, but I think, like, the, the forgiveness of Rosa is, like, more acceptable and kind of more of where we should go, but I liked the ending because I think it would feel almost... Like, if Christina Hendricks, who I, I don't actually know her name in the movie, uh, but if we... if it, <laughs> nah. Nah. Nah, If nah, she nah. survived, I felt like it would be kind of like a cop-out of, like don't worry, like, your mom is still okay and, like, things will be better. And then if she died, I think it would kind of, at the same token, feel just hollow in a sense, too. Like, I don't, I think the leaving it open to interpretation and kind of ambiguous and leaving us with her poem and her thoughts on the situation, even though, like, she will forgive Rosa regardless of the outcome, I think is kind of what we should focus on. And I just, I liked it. I, I, I liked it. Uh, but we all know that Christina Hendricks survived and she's coming home. 
Um, and Eric, yeah, I wanted to touch on uh, Twisk. You know, he said history repeats itself, and that's definitely like yeah, that's a good one. You know, Hiroshima to the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I think um. So why the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, was in the background here, why the director decided to put it in this time period, uh, I mean, it, it obviously hit close home to her because she grew up during that too. But I feel like when you're at that age, 16, 17, there's always something going on in the world where you uh, you know, feel this kind of existential dread that I was talking about earlier, and you get to a point like, should I do something about it, or you know, am I just you know, doomed to be helpless. And, you know, for me, it was like the Iraq war growing up, you know, right now it's Russia and the Ukraine, which, you know, we were, we're watching this, uh, as Russia and the Ukraine is happening and, you know, it's really easy to feel helpless. And I guess what, uh, the end, I think in a way is saying, you know, maybe my poetry, you know, will be able to like, at least help me gather my thoughts and like deal with this crazy chaotic world that I live in, you know? I thought there was one other interesting metaphor to this whole thing at the end there. So that scene where it's that critical mass where she breaks down and has to reveal her secret. And she calls, like she says, I'm going to explode. You know, this entire movie's theme is about the, you know, the atom bomb and this perpetual idea of uh, a nuclear weapon destroying their lives. And I think that Elle Fanning's character, she is the bomb, right? Her secret her secret destroys the life of everyone around her, including herself. If she keeps it a secret, she explodes from the pain, the depression, the isolation, the having to hold her father and her best friend's secret in her hands. But if she reveals it, her mother, her father, her best friend will all be damaged beyond repair, as if someone had dropped a bomb in their lives. And so I think that's a huge, huge part where she's struggling with this idea, like, do I be a pacifist or do I be an activist or do I preserve my nuclear family's, you know, fragility or do I explode it because I can't do anything else and I'm a 17-year-old girl? Like, it was it was really good. I just loved it. So, Kevin, I have a, I have a question. Um, sure. So, so you, uh, you said you like the, the ending so much, right? Because of, you know, the whole, like, big poem at the end. So going to Eric's point about how when she was writing poetry, it kind of anchored her, her own reality. It kind of like, you know, when she heard her mom having sex and contrastly uh, Rosa having sex, she would be like writing poems, you know, in her head. Do you think that when she says, I want to live, you know, live in the moment or whatever, does, is she like going to get away from poetry because of that? Is she going to like break free of the shackles that was, uh, you know... Like where she yeah, where she was so, concerned about nuclear war this entire movie and now she's like now I'm gonna live, is she gonna be like less attached to her old way of life? I guess does that make sense? <laughs> I I guess so. Um, I think that moving forward she's gonna be actually be more motivated on the war effort than anything else. Kind okay, of seeing okay. how how her pacifist father is actually a giant scumbag and anything that he said or did is not no is no longer really relevant. To, to what her personal, her beliefs are. We saw throughout the entire film that the divergence between the two, and at the end there truly is the difference between he's willing to go to jail for not doing anything and she's willing to go to jail for doing something. That's the huge, oh, we see that part. Ooh. We literally see her go to jail for what she stands up with and he's now famous for going to jail for not doing anything. And that inaction, I think, is a huge, huge part of why she stands tall at the end. I didn't even make that connection. That's a really smart connection. Huh. There we go. Yeah, well said. I like that. Does anyone? <laughs> I want to get final thoughts, and then we're going to give some ratings. Um, I guess 
just one last thing I wanted to say was uh, the guy that plays uh, Ro- Roland. Um, he was in. He's in a, another A twenty four film we're gonna watch pretty soon called The Most Violent Year, and he was also in The Many Saints of Newark, which is the Sopranos film. Uh, so I'm I'm starting to become uh, more interested in this guy as an actor, and I actually think he did a great job of playing a despicable person yes, in this. He did, and I, yeah. yeah, I think the acting all around was pretty pretty great. Uh, and yeah, including definitely Christina Hendricks, definitely Elle Fanning. I, I think okay. that uh, this was cast extremely well, and uh, yeah. Who played Rosa? Uh, Rosa. It was. It was a new actress who had actually she because in the credits it's introducing oh. the actress's name, so she was her Alice, first Alice actor, Englert. Um, yes. Film. There you go. Beat me to it, you son of a bitch. She's in, she was oh my gosh, Kelly. She was in the Power of the Dog. I was about to say that. <laughs> really? Yeah, she played uh, Buster. Buster. Uh, <laughs> Buster yeah, she must have had a smaller role. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, she did great yeah. too. I was um, surprised for a movie called Ginger and Rosa. I thought it was going to switch between the two of them, uh, like multiple times. But we don't ever really get to hear Rosa from Rosa's point of Who view. Who cares? We just know that she's she she's into church and <laughs> sleeping with her yeah. friend's father. Um, and that's all we really get from her. And. She's so awful towards her mother. Yeah. And that last scene saying, like, I didn't even notice you were my mom. Oh, like, that Ooh. smack, though. That had to be real smack. I mean, it, it sounded so good. It looked amazing. <laughs> which, which, one's, which one's better, that slap or the uh, Ron Weasley's mom against Bellatrix Lithuane and Harry Potter? <clears throat> Both involve redheads in the, in the scene, so. Yeah. Fiery red. <laughs> I would say the Rosa one just because that I she fucking needed to be slapped. I really wanted that so bad, <laughs> and I don't care about Harry Potter that much. Oh, hold on. anyways, if Harry Potter was an A twenty four film. You would. Yes. <laughs> on that note, and to avoid all topics of Harry Potter, especially when I'm hosting this episode, <laughs> we've had a lot of thoughtful things that we said just moments ago. So, thinking back on that, I'd like to give our final A twenty four rating system and i'll let whoever speaks first go first give me your rating uh, <laughs> blaze good I'll job go first i'll go first blaze. all right so my overall thoughts was way better than um the last movie we saw yeah um so definitely a step up in everything from cinematography to the uh soundtrack uh the acting was phenomenal by pretty basically everyone um and it taught it Definitely touched on some pretty heavy themes in pretty artful, stylistic way. So, when I look at an A24 movie, this kind of fits the mold way more than Charles Swan did. So, that being said, I did think it was a little... It was actually a little short. I wish they would have strung it out a little bit more. Let the uh, the plot breathe a little bit more. If it would have been closer to two hours, I think it would have been a, a better movie. So, that being said, like I said... I, I don't think I'm going to remember this movie, and I don't think I'm going to watch it again. It, it left uh, disgust, disgust in my mouth towards Roland and the other uh, characters. Like I said, the ending was just too uh, ambiguous to me to like ever really get closure on the film. So I'm going to give it a solid C24. It's right in the wheelhouse of what A24 stands for, at least in my opinion. And it's a really uh, exemplary film for what the production 
uh, company does. So C24, good, not great. Probably wouldn't watch it again though either. Yeah. Um, I I think I'm gonna give it a B24. I looked at the other films that Sally Potter did, and she hasn't really had many successful films. Uh, and I think this one, it must have hit really close to home for her. And I think this film is just so beautifully directed. It's poetic. Uh, you, you could tell just, you know, from our conversation, there are so many different levels to this film that you can pick apart. And the acting really makes it that way, too. And I feel like the characters were extremely thought out. Even though Rosa wasn't a main character, you know, we didn't explore her as much. I, I think we... We got the general vibe of her from her friend Ginger, and I, I just, I don't know, overall, I, I think this was a very powerful and good film, and B24 for me, not, you know, the best A24 film I've ever seen, but it's, you know, it was surprisingly, like, I, I really liked it for, after, you know, we just watched Charles Swan, uh, that that was such a doubt, like crappy movie. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm just uh, giving this an even better rating because I just watched such a crappy movie. But uh, you know, that's probably. But either true. way, I, I still really enjoyed this movie. So B24 for me. Kevin, let's hear from so, you. So, so as a uh, a newbie in the world of indie films and especially A24, um, this was definitely a breath of fresh air coming in from the last one. I really did enjoy this movie, uh, but at its core, it did feel very indie, with its long stills of thousand-yard stairs, the empty rooms, some of the things that you kind of attribute to indie films. It definitely had those elements, but it also had an A-list cast of former Oscar winners and all of the other things that kind of reminded you that there was still some high production value to it. I absolutely love the soundtrack. I touched on it earlier, um, and even the last song as the credits were rolling is The Man I Love by Thelonious Monk, and that's just another addition to all of the other great jazz standards that are throughout this entire film. Um, like Eric touched on, we could continue to talk about this for another hour as far as all of the you know nuance and key points that you know are throughout this whole thing. I think they did a really great job of touching on you know religion and war, um, growing up in wartime and things that you know the viewer not necessarily has a lot of experience with but feels that they can relate to by the end of the film i really did enjoy the way the characters were developed um and they filled a 90 minute space in an, an excellent amount of time i also give this a b24 um just because it really did uh, knock all the boxes for me and it makes me excited to see what the rest of this production company brings out if these are the movies that they're trying to bring out to the public so um yeah, let's go. I really yeah. enjoyed it. And I don't know if this is a coincidence. Uh, B-24 bombers were, you know, airplanes during World War II. Oh, wow, look at so, you. Going full, full, full circle here. Speaking of fun facts, did you know that this is the first PG-13 movie and the only non-rated R movie that A-24 has done up until literally last month? Wait, seriously? Seriously. Wow. Yeah, I... I, I saw it as like a little tidbit, and I looked it up, and as far as I could tell, I did not click through all 111 of them, but fuck, I, look, I looked yeah. it, and they're like all rated R, all the way up until wow. literally literally it. last year when the Apple TV movie The Sky is Everywhere came out was the only other PG-13 movie that, came, that they've done. And then they've also released After Yang, which apparently is a G-rated film. It's a Showtime. I don't know. It it's came out March 4th. Obviously, we haven't watched it yet. No. But we got five years to think about that. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, I 
I, I, I like this movie because it made me feel things. I hate this movie because it pissed me off to like no extent, but I feel like A24 is very good at getting that feels. Uh, overall, this is a movie that I, I enjoyed. I'm glad I watched it and I've, I enjoyed the experience, but I'll, I, I, I probably won't recommend it to anyone else, like a, to like my normal movie going friends, and I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it again. Um, I'm going to give this a solid like C plus or C plus. 24 <laughs> rating uh i think if it was rated r it would have gotten a solid b with christina Hendricks involved but obviously not rated r and <laughs> not, not enough christina Hendricks. so Bonk. what are we gonna Give do your sip card right, see yourself out you had Thank you. Bonk, bonk. <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed my time <laughs> with you folks <laughs> you can call me scarlet from now on <laughs> <laughs> Audio listeners, he is a redhead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also I was going back and forth with what I think, and I think it's an absolutely wonderful movie. I think that it's shot really well. A lot of it was very like painterly. The old wallpaper once Roland moved into the new apartment. It's a beautifully shot film. The acting is wonderful. The story's good, but did anything really make me go like? whoa this this is blowing my mind this is super and yes there's lots of layers and everything but when i watch a movie i like to be like big emotions and this was just a lot of small emotions so for that reason and also like cole said it's not something that i'm gonna go to my friends and say like you gotta see this movie so a solid c24 from me as well look at us what's um yeah what's our next film folks spring, spring breakers, breakers. Ooh, oh yeah that's yeah. blazes i think that's gonna be a divisive film so <laughs> i think it's gonna be because i've never seen it before i've oh, never, I've seen, never it. seen it either. really yeah. never seen it oh no. okay let's go i feel let's like you're go. it's either you love or you're hated there, there it's not like this film where you can kind of be in the middle it's like yeah there's an up and down to it for sure. Yeah, Blaze, Blaze, I I'm yeah, quite excited. You're either gonna get it's either gonna get an A or an F24 from you. I really feel like, like depending. Really? Out, there's no, there's gonna be no C24s on this movie. You're either gonna <laughs> be like me and be all about it, or I don't know, <laughs> be like my grandma and hate it. I don't know. <laughs> it does take place in Florida, and Blaze lives in Florida, so it's pretty much about his life. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hey. I'm excited. I like I like a divisive <laughs> film like that. Divisive anything. No middle yeah. ground ever. No. That's DeFranco, the worst. DeFranco kills that movie. Mm. But uh, we'll just, talk just about James that next Franco, week. not DeFranco. No, he's the Franco. Uh, <laughs> okay, I thought you said James DeFranco or DeFranco. DeFranco. <laughs> no, no, I was being I was being facetious. Never. No. <laughs> James Franco's the worst of the brothers. Anyhow, everyone knows that. Anyway, that's what we learned. <laughs> I mean, the other one's banging. We can discuss uh, that more next week Allison for sure. Brie. Yeah, we'll see. Next time. When I host. On the rocks. That's right. This is going to be a train wreck. It's not going to go well with Blaze hosting, guys. I'm just letting everyone know. All right. Good night, world.